welcome to the sermon webcast of Good News Lutheran Church of Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. The following sermon was preached on Sunday, July 2nd, 2017, on the basis of Matthew 9, verse 35 through 10, verse 8. I'm guessing that at some point, just about everyone in this room has either said or sung the words, God bless America. In fact, it'd be interesting to have a count of the total number of times that short little prayer is spoken this week. As our nation celebrates its 241st anniversary, I'm guessing that there will maybe be even millions of people who offer that prayer. But when they do, what are they praying for? For as short and simple as that prayer is, when you really think about it, every word needs to be explained. First of all, what do we mean by God? If millions of Americans are offering that prayer, there are probably all kinds of different ideas of who God is from the people who offer that prayer. Secondly, what do we mean by the word bless? Do we equate God's blessing on our country with economic prosperity? Do we equate it with secure borders and safe streets in our cities? Do we equate it with liberty and justice for all? And then finally, what do we even mean by America? Do we mean our nation as a whole, one indivisible political unit? Do we mean each of our 50 states? Do we mean the 2.3 billion acres of dirt that we occupy or the 321 million people who occupy them? For as short and simple as it is, for as common as it is, at the end of the day, that that prayer is, is pretty broad and ultimately pretty vague. And I suppose that's okay to a certain extent because God can and indeed does bless our nation in all of the ways that I just mentioned, and it is good for us to ask that he continue to do so. But for the purposes of our time together this morning, we're going to focus on something much more specific. We're going to focus specifically on the blessings that God gives to our country through us. Those are the blessings that are highlighted in the verses from Matthew that I just read. These verses highlight the very specific and very unique contribution that each one of us and all of us together as a church have an opportunity to make in our neighborhoods, in our community, and really in our country as a whole. It's good for us to pray for God's continued blessings on our country in general, but from these verses we get God's specific answer to that prayer, God bless America. As we look at these verses today, that answer is going to come in three ways. It's first of all going to come as Jesus assesses the times. Secondly, as he assigns the task. And third, as he equips the team who is going to carry that task out. So right at the beginning of these verses, Matthew tells us that Jesus is going throughout the towns and villages of Galilee, and as he is, he's doing this. He's proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God and healing every disease and sickness. So as Jesus traveled throughout the region, he was a blessing to people in those two specific ways. First, by preaching the gospel. Second, by healing their diseases. We need to take note of that quickly, just right at the very beginning, because we're going to come back to it later. But then as Jesus does this, as he travels throughout the regions, Matthew tells us that he gives an assessment of the crowds of people that he is encountering. And that assessment comes in the form of two 
very vivid metaphors. First of all, Jesus says that the people are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then, as he's going throughout these towns and villages, he says, look, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Here's why those two metaphors are so striking. See, the spiritual condition of God's people in Jesus' day was pretty sad. They had taken God's law, which was intended to be a blessing to them and intended to preserve their identity as a nation, and they had made it something that it was not. They had turned it into a way for them to earn God's favor and then as a result feel superior to the other nations and other peoples around them. They had also taken God's gospel, his promise to send a Messiah to rescue them from sin and death, and they had made that something that it was not. They had reduced God's promise of a Messiah to simply someone who would help overthrow the Romans and once again restore glory to Israel. And yet as Jesus observes that sad spiritual state, it's rather striking that he compares those crowds, first of all, to sheep. In other words, that sad spiritual state was not something that these people were the cause of. It's something that they were the casualties of. They were the victims, you might say, of false and corrupt shepherds who had led them astray and ultimately abandoned them. And so when Jesus came across these crowds of people, he didn't get angry with them. He didn't rebuke them. Rather, we're told he was filled with compassion for them. Second of all, Jesus looks at those crowds of people and he compares them to a field of grain that is ripe and ready for the harvest. In other words, as he looks at things, he doesn't see people as problems that need to be solved or problems that need to be eliminated. No, he looks at things and he sees it as an opportunity that needs to be seized. And because he does, he immediately comes up with a plan for action. He gathers his disciples together and says, Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. So Jesus sees people as casualties and therefore has compassion on them. He sees things as an opportunity and therefore comes up with a plan of action. That's how Jesus assessed the times. So how do we? I think you can make the case that in our country today, immorality is increasing. You might be able to make the case that hostility toward all kinds of religious faith, including ours, is intensifying. You might make the case that more and more lies about God are being bought hook, line, and sinker. But are we able to look at people today, look at the crowds, and see them the way that Jesus did? Right now I'm reading a book that gives a fascinating assessment of our current American culture. And what's so fascinating about it is that it takes specific elements of our culture, specific ideas that, that are part of what we think and believe as Americans, and it traces them back to philosophical movements and ideologies that go all the way back to the 18th, 17th, 16th centuries, even, even farther back than that. So we might think that today people buy into and believe all kinds of different crazy ideas, and yet 
rest assured that those ideas are not new. Those ideas have been around for a long, long time. And so just as Jesus concluded, I think we also can conclude that people today are more casualty than cause of the scene that we see. As a result, I'm pretty convinced that Americans today will not be blessed if we as Christians sort of stand back at arm's length filled with nothing but anger and disdain for the people around us. I'm pretty sure that Americans will not be blessed by our anger-filled tirades on social media or our sarcastic inviting bumper stickers on our cars. Rather, Americans will be blessed if we, as Jesus, have compassion on the people that we meet and the people that we see. And if, as Jesus did, we see things as an opportunity, an opportunity that calls us to action. So how, how is that opportunity going to be seized? That's what these verses highlight next. After Jesus was done assessing the times, he then moves on to identify the task. We had noted right at the very beginning that as Jesus himself was going through Galilee, he was both preaching the gospel and caring for people's physical needs. Only now he's going to send out his disciples. He's going to send out more workers into the harvest field. And so it shouldn't surprise us that he tells them to do exactly what he had been doing. Here's how those instructions went. Jesus said, as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, and drive out demons. So Jesus sent out his disciples both to preach the message of the gospel and also to care for people's physical, bodily needs. As we think about our, our work as a congregation and the opportunity that we have to be a blessing to the people of our community and country, it's really easy to focus on one or the other of those two things at the expense of the other one. And I'm guessing that we could look around today and see churches in America who have become so preoccupied with caring for people's physical needs, feeding and clothing the hungry, providing medical aid to people in third world countries that they have almost forgotten entirely about preaching the gospel for the eternal salvation of those same people. But permit me also to observe that for our church, I would almost wonder whether the greater danger would be the opposite that we would become so focused on the message, on sharing the gospel with the people of our community and our country, as we rightly should, that we completely forget about showing love and caring for the physical needs of those very same people. There would be two reasons why that would be a big mistake. The first one is entirely theological. Just about every Sunday here at Good News, we stand and we speak together. I believe in the resurrection of the body. In other words, Jesus came to this earth not to remove our souls from a corrupt and fallen physical world, but really to rescue us whole. Body and soul together. To live in a real physical place on the other side of eternity. 
that harvest that Jesus was talking about in these verses, it's not just a harvest of people's souls, it's a harvest of people, body and soul together. And so we demonstrate our faith in the resurrection of the body as we care for the needs of people's bodies, even right here and right now. That's the, the theological reason. The second one is also theological, but a little bit more practical. You see, as we carry the gospel message out into the world, we are traveling into enemy territory. In other words, we are taking a message that is largely incompatible with and, and quite often offensive to people's natural instincts about God. Jesus knew that full well. And so the beauty of his design for our church, the beauty of the mission that he gives us, is that he gives us a way to sort of, sort of smooth off the edges a little bit. A way that those natural walls of defense that people so often put up to God in his word can be brought down. And it's simply by showing love to other people. It's simply by caring for their physical, earthly, bodily needs. Our church will be a blessing to Americans when both the truth of the gospel message and the love that the gospel produces in our hearts are, are carried out to our community together as a package deal. That's the task that Jesus has signed, assigned to us. Think you're up for it? Anytime that, that a congregation or the people of the congregation discuss its ministry, I think it's very natural for all of us, including the pastor, to instantly be filled with questions of competence. Are we really up for the task? And so thankfully, Jesus not only assesses the times and assigns the task, he then also equips the team that he's going to send out to do it. And Jesus does that and highlights how he does that, specifically with the very last verse in the section that's in front of us today. Jesus says, freely you have received, freely give. Now that verse not only will tell us how Jesus has equipped the team. But even before we get to that discussion, it also addresses an underlying spiritual issue that is so important for us to address even before we can think about carrying out the mission that Jesus has given to us. Why is it that so often we find it so easy to just get angry and upset with the culture around us rather than feeling compassion for people? Why do we find it so easy at times to kind of just throw up helpless hands and say there, there's nothing that we could possibly do, no difference that we can make? Why is it that we let opportunities to share the gospel with other people slip through our fingers? Why is it that so often we ignore real human need even when it's two inches in front of our noses? Well, it's because deep, deep down, we want to believe the opposite of what Jesus says. Jesus says, freely you have received. See, deep down we want to believe that everything we have, we have earned. We want to believe that the reason we know the truth about God, the reason that we believe the truth about God, instead of buying into the weird concoction of lies that so often get circulated in our society, we want to believe that that's the case because we're smarter than other people or nobler than other people. We want to believe that our lives are, are relatively in good shape and we've got food on our plates and a roof over our heads because we've made all the right decisions and we've done all the right things. 
Jesus says, freely you have received. Everything that we have is a gift from God. Long before we can think about what we're supposed to do for other people, we need to realize that the very same things that Jesus tells us to do in these verses, we needed him to do for us. We needed him to look at us and rather than be filled with anger, be filled with compassion. We needed him to look at us not as problems that need to be solved or problems that need to be eliminated, but as opportunities that need to be seized. We need to realize that Jesus came to seize that opportunity, not simply by talking at us, not simply by sharing information with us, but by giving himself wholly and fully to us, by giving his very life for us. All so that that harvest on the last day would include you and me. And friends, rest assured that everything we needed Jesus to do for us, he has surely and completely done. Freely you have received. But now, how am I supposed to share the gospel with someone? What if I, I don't know what to say? What if I don't have answers to all the questions? How am I supposed to help others in their need when it seems like I'm working so hard just to scrape by? Jesus says, freely have you received, freely give. Jesus never asks you to give what you haven't been given. He only asks you to give what you have been given. In fact, it's interesting that in these verses, Jesus sends out his disciples to do things like heal the sick, drive out demons, and even raise people from the dead. But before he did that, he gave them the power and authority to be able to do so. Has Jesus given you the ability to perform those miracles? Yeah, me neither. So don't worry about performing them. What has he given you? Whatever that is, that's what you share. It's also interesting that at this point, Jesus' disciples had not spent very long with Jesus. They still had a lot to learn and a lot of training to go through. They would come back from this mission, and, and Jesus still had a lot to teach them. And yet already now, he sends them out. You don't know your Bible backwards and forwards? Don't know the answer to every single question? It's okay, neither do I. What do you know? What have you been given? Whatever that is. That's what Jesus asks you to share. Jesus doesn't just assign the times and, assign and identify the task. He also equips the team. He has given us everything that we need to do the job that he sends us to do. So, God bless America. What are we asking for when we pray that prayer? One of the things that makes this section of God's word really unique is that right after Jesus huddles his disciples together and says, hey guys, let's ask our Father in heaven to send out more workers into the harvest field. Amen. Do you know what he does next? He sends them out into the harvest field. So normally when we think of prayers and we think of the answers to those prayers, we think in terms of the things that we get. In these verses, Jesus demonstrates that very often the answers to prayers are, are the things that he calls us to be. So God bless America. What, what are we praying for? Well, even more than praying for economic prosperity, safe streets and secure borders, liberty and justice for all, even greater than our heart for America, 
is our heart for Americans, right? When we pray that prayer as the church, specifically we are praying for a harvest. We're praying that from among the people who are right around us, when God comes again in glory, there would be an abundant harvest. In fact, the words of the hymn that we'll sing at the end today put it this way. We are praying that when in power he comes, oh, may our native land from all its rending tombs send forth a glorious band. May God bless America in that specific way. And what a cool thing that the answer to that prayer is not just something that we get, but something that Jesus gives us the opportunity to be. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Good News Lutheran Church, visit www.goodnewslc.org.